This week's episode of The Forecast is brought to you by Plebeian.us, Mortem Clothing Co., and the all-new ForestHinesArt.com. Welcome to the weekly forecast. Here's a look at your seven day forecast. We're looking at our forecast. This is the Quacks in the Forecast. Here's really the Quacks in the Forecast. Talk about this weekend forecast. Welcome to the forecast. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back. This week's forecast calls for Ben Douglas, an amazing artist whose work I absolutely love, whose work I fell in love with before even knowing who the artist was. Um, You all know the drill at this point. I get my uh, 15 minutes to ramble, and since it's been a little while, you know, maybe stick around to hear some cool updates, but if you'd like to get right to the interview, you can skip to about the 15 minute mark, and that's where we'll be getting going. But anyways, welcome back. Um, It's hard to continuously make content, you know what I mean? So week to week, the addition of recording, editing, uh, recording again, you know, these intros and the interviews happen separately, and when I can't bank them, um, you know, it was just, just a necessary little break. There was a bunch of weeks where I would have had to force it or, or rush it, and uh, I knew I had some content coming down the pipeline, so... I wanted to, uh, you know, I just took the, I just took the time to, to relax, focus on other things. Like I said, I knew the podcast wasn't going anywhere. I knew I had some cool interviews like this one with Ben Douglas today. Um, I've got some other cool ones coming up, so we're not gone. Just needed a little break. Now, this this beginning part is going to be a half-sponsor read. You know, I mentioned it in the little intro clip. Uh, you won't hear, have to hear it about it anymore. But I launched a new website. ForestHinesArt.com is, is finally here. I figured that it was 2021. Um, I had been told about portfolio sites through high school, five years of college, and then three years out in the professional world, and I finally have one. So... <laughs> Um, I've got a new portfolio site. You can head over there. You can check out all of my recent work. Um, I also have all of that recent work for sale in the original forms as well as prints. Um, I also made some cool little print deals. Uh, For example, you can get uh, two packs of full-scale prints. I've also got some four four packs of full series and and a smaller scale. I think they're... uh, five and a half by nine inch and five and a half by five inch so so little frames um all that printing is done by fireball printing they're they're amazing they've done all the prints that i've done in the past and you know i love to love to be able to work with a local printer as i do in um in all things and speaking of local printers, one of my favorite things that is locally printed is mortem clothing co my business um I'm going to be at the Miracle on Market Street by uh, Old Kensington Boutique and Next Fab Philly. That'll be taking place tomorrow. Um, it's going to be in the parking lot. There's uh, Next Fab has a really cool space, um, and then it's in a nice little fenced-off lot, and the market will be taking place out in the lot. It'll go through inside. They'll be doing tours of NextFab. There's going to be 40-plus vendors, I think 40 vendors through Old Kensington Boutique, and then I think NextFab has some of their own. So there's going to be something crazy. Like I saw the spots when they sent out the schedule, and it was something like 70 70 spots. So I'm very excited for this event. Um, That will be tomorrow, Saturday, November 20th. Um, My fiancé, the amazing Gracious Rebel Designs, and I will be there. We just stepped up our uh, our market display setup, so we'll have a cool little tent that you guys can come hang out in, come check out the gear, and it should be uh, should be a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. Come out, snag your uh, snag your fall gear, and uh, help me clear some of the stock so we can roll into the winter gear. Rolling right along with these updates. Um, I mentioned it a while back. I couldn't tell you when we actually recorded, but um, I was the guest on a podcast. I was fortunate enough to get to record a little while ago with the Maximum Mediocrity podcast, and the episode with me just released. It is a really fun show. They did a lot of cool edits. It's a very casual interview, which, you know, if you've listened to this show at all, um, 
you know that's what I love, and they had a tremendous setup. I went down to their recording area, and it was it was great. You know, they had a nice little chair for me, my own microphone. It was a it was a great time, and it was different being on uh, the other side of the microphone. They also did some some really fun edits throughout the show. One of the things that I thought was uh, was the funniest. One of the hosts, Dave, put this together. Um, so I talked about this a long, long time ago uh, when I first got into doing the show as the forecast and when I first got into uh, launching Mortem. So this we, we recorded at some point in the summer. So Mortem was in its early inception. I guess it would have to be around uh, July because I think I mentioned at one point that I didn't even have the first stock yet. And um, I told the story on that show, and I know I've told it on here, of reaching out to local printers trying to find the uh the right print shop to work with um i kept it all local you know i expanded a little bit outside of philly um not too far though you know nowhere that i that i couldn't drive and where i couldn't speak to speak to the people who'd be selling and printing my work so anyways long story short talked to a bunch of print shops um everybody was great but i did get one email from uh this printer named stewart and he said, uh, send me your designs. Also, here's this article on why you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't create a clothing brand. And what Dave did was after talking to me about this, uh, he actually went and interviewed Stuart. And I think that Stuart showed a lot more humility in this interview. I think that his tone when he's being interviewed compared to the tone of uh, the article that he sent me on why not to start a clothing brand was more in line with what it should have been. Uh, I think at the time of recording the interview, I was still a little grumpy about it. I just thought that the tone felt kind of bullying. I thought the advice was pretty simple. Uh, You know, it was basic business stuff. And I don't think that you should give basic business stuff to new business people, whatever it may be, in a tone of like, you're wrong to do this. Here's things to be weary of. It's not your job to tell people what they shouldn't, should or shouldn't do. Okay? You don't have to work with them. And the idea of me sending you my designs or anyone sending you their designs for you to, uh, for you to reject it. It's, it's just when there's so many great printers willing to, willing to work with you and make something happen, I I get it. You don't want to work with clothing brands. That's great. You know, he said in the interview, he would love for somebody to figure it out and there to be a perfect formula, but being in business, come on, man, you know that, you know, there's no perfect formula for any business. Um, he, you know, he says he wants repeat orders from clothing brand. Well, I'm happy to report that I'm in the process of, my fifth or sixth order with my printer, you know, I won't lie to you. It's not the most lucrative thing in the world, but it's a passion project of mine. And that's what a lot of people who do clothing brands do. I'm not in it to make millions off of it, just like I'm sure he's not in it to make millions off of printing. But anyways, um, it's a, it's an interesting back and forth because Dave took the questions that he asked me, uh, and he presented pretty much the same questions to Stuart and it's both of our sides of, the story and you know listening to it <laughs> I think that I was a little bit like I said I was a little bit angry at the time and uh I think that that showed I wish I could have been a little bit more collected in my in my telling of it but whatever you know we still got beef Stewart. <laughs> but uh no it was a great show it's it's a whole lot of fun uh you should check that episode out um Again, that's Maximum Mediocrity Podcast. You can find them on Spotify. That's where I listen to to most of my podcasts. Uh, you can check out their uh, Instagram, at Maximum Mediocrity. You can find out there uh, where other audio outlets may be. Uh, check it out. It's a fun listen. You can listen to your boy. Um, it's nice and easy. I only felt a little bit narcissistic listening to an hour-long interview of myself. It's it's relaxed. The hosts are great people. It's a, it's a, it's a good time. The final thing I wanted to talk about in my little segue uh, into the into the interview with Ben Douglas was, 
I guess, a preface for a conversation that Ben and I had, and I thought it was was really interesting. Um, as somebody who focuses predominantly in the fine art world, we we see that the art market has this lack of transparency um, between school, between entering the pro- professional world, between all the things that go on. It's very hard to figure out how to price your work. Um, how do you value what work costs to make? How do you value your time? How do you value what goes into the work? Um, I've talked about it a little bit here and there before, but you know, it's the, the, the long and short of it is it's, it's hard to price your artwork and we don't really know what art is selling for. And a lot of the transparency only comes from like big time sales. If I sell 10 works at a hundred dollars, I'm not necessarily going to brag about that. I'm not, that's not going to make any papers, but if I all of a sudden jump up and sell a work for $10,000, that might, you know, make the news. I'm not speaking about myself, you know, speaking in general here, but the big time art where there's huge sales tends to go out there and, uh, it creates a lack of transparency on all the other things. And it's confusing for the buyer. That's why you hear a lot of people who think like, oh, art only sells for huge money, or I don't know what art costs, or I can't afford art. Because when your only insight into the market is huge sales, you know, you see a Basquiat sell for $50 million, how are you supposed to assume that you can buy from a local artist for $100 or, you know, even less? It's, it's intimidating to enter the market. And Ben Douglas, our guest for today, works predominantly in the design field. He's worked uh, within corporate design, and he's worked uh, freelance in his own practice. And he had very much the same issue, but within the design world. And how he talks about, or we talk about, um, how these kind of bidding wars can start. And how a lot of times it goes to the lowest buyer and how something like that can potentially hurt the industry because now it's it's devalued the work. You know, you want to get the work, but when you bring stuff down in price, then it makes the higher prices harder to give. And the higher price doesn't necessarily mean shooting for the moon. It may just mean the livable price to get you to make that work. You know, if something... If I realistically need $500 to get something done, but I put in $350 just because I know that that's going to be the lowest and I'll get the job, okay, well now I've shorted myself money. And on top of shorting yourself money, you've also made it seem like that project that should cost $500 to make now only makes $350. And then somebody could lowball that even more. Then all of a sudden that project that cost $500 to make could cost $200. And then it can snowball like that. And then all of a sudden, people have to stack project to top of project and have to do things that they don't want to do. Um, And it was, it was really interesting, because it's something that's so apparent to me within the fine art world, that something that's a little bit more uh, streamlined sales-wise, you almost forget, or I almost forget, I should say, that uh, these similar problems happen within other creative fields. You know, this whole idea of bidding wars is great because it gives multiple people the opportunity, but I think when there's not a transparency in pricing, then people don't know when they're hurting the market. There's definitely a difference in value. You know, I could be able to get something done for five hundred dollars. A firm may take two, three times that price to get it done because they're thinking about three, four, five people. So I come in cheaper because it's just me. That's the that's a difference in the creative process. But when it's me versus me and somebody goes lower and intentionally kills the price just to get it, then that's something different. And that's where the hurt happens. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, Ben and I talk about how there needs to be transparency in pricing. And I think that schools need to talk about that as well. You know, I think that first off, a lot of people don't know even when they're in teaching roles. But I think that, you know, how many of you went to art school and are thinking back right now and realize, holy shit, we've never talked about how to price work. If you went to a if you went to a program where they did do that, that's awesome. 
Um, I think that they should. But, you know, I as we were having this conversation, I was thinking back, you know, running through all the courses I had, even the courses that were about being an artist in the professional world. And we never talked about that. And I just think that's so crazy. But anyways, I think that's a great segue uh, to get into my little conversation with Ben Douglas. I'm a huge fan of Ben Douglas's work. He does a bunch of the designs for uh, Roosevelt's, which is one of my favorite clothing brands out there, outside of my own, that is. Um, and uh, I rock his gear all the time. Like I said, I, I fell in love with Roosevelt's uh, when I first saw their stuff, and then I found out that this one artist did a whole bunch of their stuff, and I've been following Ben ever since, and I was thrilled to get to talk to him. I think it's a great little conversation. Check it out. Very excited to have yet another artist on, an artist who I'm a huge fan of, who over the past couple of years I've interacted with and worn a lot of their work, Ben Douglas. How you doing? Hey, what's up, Boris? Um, before we get going, is there anything that you'd like to plug, uh, where people can find your work, anything you might have going on, exciting new projects, all yours? Yeah, I guess just my social, um, at the Ben Douglas on Instagram and Twitter. My website is bendouglas.com and in any of those spots uh my link tree has uh all my shops and and sites and whatnot so for those who are unfamiliar with your work you're pretty heavily into the uh into the graphic element of work you do a lot of designs with various companies um so i guess what swayed you to the uh digital side the the graphic design side and what developed this style that's sort of a trademark for your work well, I guess, um, you know, drawing was my passion from like an early age. So I guess mm -hmm. I got to go all the way back to there. Um, you know, my parents could say from, from, from the get go, as soon as I can sit up in a desk and hold a pencil, <laughs> I just love to draw. That was my yeah. thing throughout school. I was always like, you know, the kid who was the artist in the class. Mm -hmm. uh, so eventually uh, I went to a high school that just by sheer luck had a very good uh, visual and performing arts program. Nice accepted into and so it had oh. different different concentrations i was gonna go to that high school regardless but it just so happened that they had this program oh okay so, um yeah it wasn't like a design school it had just this it had a like i said visual performing arts um concentration so they would they would bust kids in from different areas around the different districts but yeah. it's a school i would have gone to either way oh okay so i got accepted into their commercial art program which meant nice. i had two, peri two periods of art a day through my entire high school career that's awesome. And that program touched on, you know, all the different like historical art movements and the different ways you, know, you can be a professional mm -hmm. as a creative. And so it touched upon design. And that was sort of my first intro into like Photoshop and um, like ad design in like a very yeah. basic way. Up yeah. until then, I was just kind of drawing cartoons for the most part. And, mm -hmm. you know, throughout school, you have to paint and, and things like that. But yeah, uh, that was like my first intro. And that was kind of a I guess an epiphany as a dopey 16 year old that this could be something that I could do maybe for a living because I didn't know where yeah. I was headed with it. I just knew I wanted to be a professional artist of some kind. Yeah. So that kind of led me down the design path. And I, so I chose to major in graphic design at Seton Hall and okay. um, took a lot of my electives in illustration and drawing mm -hmm. because even though like I thought design would be my career, I didn't want to give up on illustration. That was really my first love. So yeah, uh, that continued to be a focus. And when I got out of school um, and got my first graphic design job, I kind of would then with Moonlight as um, as an illustrator, first sort of trying to teach myself digital illustration, um, which eventually sort of led to jobs. Gotcha. So, yeah, um, when a lot of times you uh, you post videos of how some of your illustrations come to be. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting was how uh, organic your process is, how you, if you watch the, the speed video that you play, you'll have sort of a first iteration and then sort of work it out. And then that might be completely scrapped. Uh, even though your work is predominantly through a digital format, do you still do any hand-done illustration or have you sort of crossed those techniques of like hand-done drawing strictly into the digital platform? So actually just within the last few months, I finally broke down and I got an iPad with Procreate. Okay. You know, for the last few years, anyone who does digital illustration, that's sort of become one of the standards. It's, you know, every sort of a lot of the artists I follow, they post those same kind of time-lapse videos. Yeah. Um, time-lapse. That's that, the word. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I couldn't think of that for some reason. Sure. 
Um, and so I was working on this old uh, Wacom bamboo tablet okay. since, since like, I don't know, 2014, which is where it's like a tablet that's not, you know, away yeah. from the computer. You're staring at the computer, drawing with your hand somewhere else. It's, it's not intuitive at all. Oh. For whatever reason, I stuck with that for like eight years. I don't know why I was so um, reluctant to, to upgrade. But um, so your work just became so much more impressive knowing that some of it was done on that. (laughs) (laughs) Those things are so hard. It is. And I finally got really comfortable just with the last couple of years, but I knew there's much better ways to go about it. I was just reluctant to have to learn a new program. Yeah. um, Procreate's great. It's so intuitive. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so prior to the last few months, every, almost everything I did would start in my sketchbook, pencil to paper. Mm -hmm. So I have stacks of these sketchbooks of, you know, I can go through just my, my entire career and, and see the different phases of work. Like everything to start is real rough sketches typically. So, yeah. so weird now that I guess I'm, I guess I'm just done with that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure at some point I'll go back and draw pencil to paper because you can't just let it go. But yeah, uh, now everything starts on the iPad. It's, it's so much easier and more intuitive and faster. Mm-hmm. It's changed the way I work within the last few months. Uh, I can't, I can't say enough for it. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked a lot about, uh, or with or with other artists throughout the, the path of the show, the interesting shift in how digital art has become so accessible, and how, you know, before, if you were on the move, if you had a, a Wacom bamboo tablet, and, you know, you went out and about and felt like drawing, if inspiration suddenly hit you, it was like, I've either got to revert back to pen and paper, or remember this for later, but now with the idea of iPads, Apple pencils, surfaces, everybody having their own tablet and uh, these super high quality digital pencils, it's, it's on the go all the time now. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it makes it so much easier. Um, prior to getting the, the iPad, any type of, you know, hand-drawn illustration work where I was working on the Wacom, like I'm, you know, I'm tethered to my, to my desk, but mm-hmm. as a freelancer, you know, when you can make your own hours, I work at night a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to be, typically I don't want to be at my desk at night. I'm down in my living room in front of the TV. So mm-hmm. I always have to kind of plan out well, what could I do on my laptop at night? Um, for whatever kind of projects I'm trying to get done. But with, like you said, you can just take the iPad anywhere. And so now illustration work, I can do at night, you know, on the, on the couch. Uh, it's nice how flexible it is. Mm-hmm. So in the design world, to be a full-time freelancer and to be successful within that uh, is, is quite a feat. So what were the steps that allowed you to work away from having to work for a firm and allow you to sort of take on your own work as a career? So it, it happened really organically. Um, like I said, early in my career, I knew, I, I thought I would be a graphic designer and I would try to mm-hmm. climb that you know, advertising ladder to art director, creative director, or wherever it goes from there. It's really where I envision my career going. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, no, no, it's fine. So, but I, like I said, I was, I still had this passion for illustration. And so I didn't want to mm-hmm. give that up, even though it, it, you know, crossed over into my full-time life quite a bit, working for creative agencies. That's certainly an, a, an advantage to them. Yeah. But I wanted to still have that as like a dual profession, I guess. So, mm-hmm. um, like I said, I would go at night, I would just keep trying to pushing, trying to teach myself digital illustration initially through illustrator with like the pen tool constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my go-to for a long time. Yeah. So I would just, you know, I, I would create my own projects for myself and I would post them to, at the time, I guess it was like, you know, Facebook and Flickr and, uh, sites like that before Instagram and, and yeah. Twitter became bigger. So just through posting my work online, people started to you know, colleagues and family and friends were taking notice and I started getting inquiries to do you know, freelance stuff on the side. Mm-hmm. And so that just over the course of, you know, I worked in advertising for 10 years over the course of a 10 year career, it just steadily grew completely yeah. organically. Um, mm-hmm. And by the last couple of years of my full-time career in advertising, I just had, I had so much side work. I was every night, every weekend, mm-hmm. uh, I was consumed with it. And so I had to, it got to a point where it was conflicting with my full-time job as an art director at, an, at a small ad agency. Um, yeah. you know, they, they expect you to be on your email at night and sometimes they expect you to be doing projects at night. Um, and that just wasn't possible for anymore. So I knew I had to either dive into freelancing full-time or, mm-hmm. or cut back. 
Yeah. And I was increasingly loving the whole process of working for myself, being, uh, you know, client facing, dealing with clients myself. Uh, yeah. Just the whole process of working for myself. I just, I fell in love with it. Earlier in my career, I thought there was no future in freelancing. I thought I would have, I'd never make any money. It, uh, it just would be a dead end path for me. Yeah. But that's just where it organically went. And uh, simultaneously, as I was loving freelancing, I was losing interest in advertising. I was just getting burnt out and it, it started mm -hmm. feeling redundant. Um, yeah. And just the work I was doing on the side was so much more tailored to what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. That eventually it just became this big goal to work for myself. Uh, so I started doing, you know, which you probably any freelancer who's been on here would probably tell you a similar story that, you know, you start researching, well, how do you make this work for yourself? What are the steps? Um, yeah. Save your money is the big one. Any freelance <laughs> money you're making, yeah. bank it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You don't know how slow, how slow things are going to be in the beginning. Um, and just, I just spoke with um, other freelancers I knew other colleagues I got in touch with, uh, they were within New Jersey, New York, there's a couple different um, creative staffing agencies that I thought I might have to lean on. So I went and spoke with them, uh, just tried to get all my ducks in a row as much as I could to try to be as prepared as I could to go off on my own. Um, and eventually you just don't, you just don't know. It's a risk. Uh, it might go well, it might not, but at some point, if this is what you want to do, you just have to make the leap. Uh, and so after, you know, probably a year of really seriously considering it. Uh, I just, I decided that was it. I was going to do it. That's awesome. Let's pause right there for a minute to talk about today's first sponsor, Plebeian.us. Plebeian is the media company that makes shows like this happen every week. Be sure to follow along on social media for updates at Plebeian.us on Instagram and Facebook. The website, Plebeian.us. And be sure to follow along with the Twitch to check out live shows every week like Public Appearance, where every week host Levi Massey sits down with musicians to talk about the visual and conceptual side of music. It's a little bit different of a show than a lot of what's going on out there with music, and it's a great watch every week. You should check it out. Do you find that since it sort of happened organically and through you sharing your own work that you were able to take on a lot of freelance work that was kind of built around your style? I know that a lot of... Uh, I mean, I guess every artist, when it comes to freelance or commission type work, sometimes you have to bend, especially as you're getting into doing it independently to just fit some projects because like, okay, now this is a, this is a money-making gig. But since it happened organically and people were coming to you, did you find that the style that you've created was allowed to really breathe from the beginning? Yes. Yeah. But it's, it's a mix. So my <laughs> freelance clients came from different places because I had okay. a, a 10 year career in advertising, <clears throat> I made a lot of contacts in that time. And a lot of those people from different agencies I worked at or, or clients we had okay. became calling throughout the years and especially once I was off of my own. So some people knew me as the guy from the agency who did brochures and, and yeah. some people knew me as the guy who did illustrations. So to this day, I, still oh, okay. a lot, you know, I have so many different areas within design and illustration that I work in, um, mm -hmm. but I think it, it, which is part of what's helped me manage to stay successful and, and self-employed is because I do a lot of different things and people yeah. know me having some versatility. But I think what your, your main point is, is accurate that because people were finding me from doing my own thing early on, that style that I guess I cultivated managed to, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's what I continue to do. And I guess what I'm known for and a lot of clients look for me because they say they like my illustration style. Um, but like I said, I'm also, I also have that sort of traditional designer background. Um, so I, the versatility is great. It keeps it fun. And yeah. what I get one another thing any freelancer will tell you is having um, different um, areas of income that you can focus on is key to being good at this and staying self-employed. So having that 10 year background and working for creative agencies was crucial to staying uh, successful as a freelancer. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, those are there's always such little intricacies, especially to like the independent art world that we that we don't really really think about. And I'm so graphic design and all that stuff is so so beyond me <laughs> that it's always interesting to hear about what goes into the specifics and how people discover you. And it's really interesting that these that uh, you made such an impression at your advertising job that people were like, okay, well, we've got to continue to go to that guy. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, there's no greater compliment, that's for sure. Um, a couple of clients <clears throat> followed me out the door when I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I finally made the decision to go off my own, which is, you know, obviously a huge compliment and yeah, crucial at the time because you, like I said, you just, when you first start, you're just, you're hoping for the best. You don't know how it's going to go. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've maintained some some great client relationships with people who started off as um, clients in my full time life. It's awesome. Now, um, the the way that I found your work was uh, through Roosevelt's, and you have oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's that? Most do that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you have sort of a lasting relationship with them and it seems as though through them and the popularity of that company uh your work has become synonymous with them when i think of roosevelt's pretty much all of the designs that come to my head right away end up being yours um so what has it been like working with them consistently on so many different projects i say it all the time i couldn't be more fortunate for my mm -hmm. relationship with them and that they've stuck with me for as long as they have. We first started working together in 2015. Uh, I went to college with John Tromatolo, who is the co-founder and creative director there. So okay. they started out as um, more like a men's lifestyle website. And okay. they eventually just sort of took a shot at apparel. And, and mm -hmm. I, I guess it, it went well. Um, but John, who's an amazing creative director and designer, he's not an illustrator. So when it came time, he needed illustration help. Lucky for me, he remembered me from school uh, and reached out. And um, the first thing I ever did for them was uh, Teddy Rough Rider, okay, uh, which has become like, you know, a staple for them. It's sort of like almost a secondary identity. Yeah, so that was the first thing I ever did, and that was 2015. And it's never, it's been like almost constant ever since. In those first couple of years, there could be some periods where I wasn't doing a ton of stuff for them, as they were really kind of ramping up. Um, the apparel side, but mm -hmm. I would say since 20, probably 2017, um, there's, I'm always doing something for them. Uh, I couldn't be more uh, grateful for that relationship. Uh, as they grew, they've gotten into the licensing side of things. So I get to work on things for, you know, Disney, Warner Brothers, um, any sort of iconic um, property you can think of, they probably have that license. So I, I've been so, so lucky that they've stuck with me. Uh, the, the fans have been super kind to me they seem to always look forward to when something of mine comes out yeah uh, i can't thank them enough for that uh, and as they've grown you know the roosevelt's can work with whoever they want now and they've brought mm -hmm. on big name illustrators and agencies and <laughs> sometimes i'm like i don't i don't write with these people but it's so nice that they've they've stuck with me yeah yeah um when they have the idea for a launch do they come with you come to you and say hey we're doing a Star Wars launch, an old school WWE launch, whatever they've done, or do you have any any input into the into exactly what the designs are? It's always different. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes they can be real specific with, with what they want. Other times yeah. they, they pitch us this. You know, it's uh, you know Ninja Turtles. Pitch okay. Us. What 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 ideas do you have? Um, yeah, it's always it's always different, which is nice because mm -hmm. I, I love as a designer, I love versatility and variety. So sometimes I like just being like, hey, this is what we want, make it work. And yeah. other times I like to brainstorm ideas and come up with something that's 100% me. Mm -hmm. what, is the, what is the interaction like when you have this uh, consistent partnership with a company? Because I mean, personally, I was surprised that, again, with these designs being so synonymous with the company that it was done through, through freelance work. So is it sort of like, do you guys have a written agreement that says like, they're going to keep coming back to you or is it sort of just like on good faith that they'll keep coming back to you for designs? And yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's more good faith than mm -hmm. anything else. Uh, we don't really have like a, like a written contract that they have to come back to me. Um, I'm yeah. kind of on a painter. Um, okay. I think I've, kind of just bill a monthly um mm -hmm. and again I, I i knock on wood i've been so lucky with them that they want to stick with me uh yeah it's just one project after another um and a lot of times it's you know like here's the next five things we want you to do mm -hmm. um yeah i mean it, one of the biggest compliments you can have in this profession i think is to have someone continue to come back to you um, yeah and i have a you know a handful of um 
of core clients who just who keep coming back uh and that keeps me keeps me busy keeps me in business yeah um, so this is more on the nerdier design side and something that for a long time I didn't really care about. But as I've gotten a little bit older and started doing different things, uh, it's it's become more apparent how important it is. And that's getting font work into designs. And um, when you have text in your designs, it always feels so original and it always feels so uh, blended in with the design, which is, you know, for me as a terrible designer is really challenging to do. And something that I see a lot where the image and the text tend to break apart from each other, even if it's a little bit. And I've never really found that with your design. So how, how important is the image and the text being cohesive and what sort of things do you have to do to do that? Well, thank you. I mean, I think um, I find it challenging too. incorporating uh, mm -hmm. typography in a good way is, is always hard. I think the fact that I have um, the dual um, interest in design and illustration are a huge advantage because, yeah, uh, you know, for a long time, it was just, like I said, I grew up drawing and, and mm -hmm. eventually getting into graphic design taught me, um, the layout and typography end of things. Um, so, and I think, you know, what you're mentioning too, is like, I always love when design and illustration come together. In yeah. one project. I think those are probably my favorite projects. Um, mm -hmm. any sort of like illustrative, um, logo project or identity um, is super fun. Uh, it's nice to hear you say you think I took a job of it. I, I think I doubt myself a lot in that area. Um, I think adding typography is is super hard. Uh, I, I wish I could give you like a, a good explanation for how I combine the two or, or my process there. But uh, you see a lot of designers joke about that they constantly lean on the same fonts. I think I'm really I'm really guilty of that. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to mix it up, but you always find yourself coming back to your, your favorites. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, you have to be like a student uh, of the profession. And, and I think it's important to stay up on the trends. You, you know, to some extent, you don't want to be trendy. You don't really need too much into that stuff. But it's important to know what other yeah. people are doing and, and, and what's popular. Uh, so I, I certainly uh, lean on just seeing what other people we're much better than me are, are doing and trying to stay up on, on that, those type of trends. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, it's, we're always, we're always our harshest critics. So what you, what you send out there that people are like, Holy shit, this guy's incredible. You might be like, that's my worst work ever. <laughs> Once a good sign of a good designer or an artist mm -hmm. is when you, lose interest in things you've done that are a couple years old yeah. you're growing uh, and you're improving and i find quite often that i look back at things from a few years and I'm like oh that mm. stunk uh, you yeah. know i'm i think it's good to to recognize that you can improve and get better yeah as you go along yeah that's a uh, funny that you mentioned that i've actually had the conversation a couple times recently of like uh sometimes it's hard to to go back and look through your work to see you develop you know especially like for for the fine art side where a painting might be shown one time and then it just sits either on a shelf or somebody buys it and then you're never able to interact with that piece again it, it may you may have to really go out of your way to look back and see see the progress do you find that since your work is sort of planted in more public imagery you're able to more easily when you want to take a look back and see like oh i've kind of i've progressed sure yeah i mean i think social media helps a lot with that obviously mm -hmm. you're sort of like whole almost your entire portfolio is on your phone at all times um, yeah so it's unavoidable and like you said with the roosevelt stuff's been around for a while so even mm -hmm. things i did early on there sometimes it's you know a little cringy for me to see some of that older stuff <laughs> yeah. uh but I think, like I said, it's a good thing that, that you can recognize that uh, mm -hmm. you're improving and you can try to be an honest critique of, of older work and where you came from. I mean, I look at stuff from college. I mean, no, mm -hmm. I mean, no designer should look at their stuff from college because you're really <laughs> disappointed. But, yeah. uh, but even like things from the first few years where I was really trying to teach myself illustration, uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm almost tempted to go back and redo some of that stuff. Uh, yeah. Like a fun project because... Uh, I can, I can clearly, very clearly see from stuff from like 2007 to 
probably like 2011, like, wow, I've really improved. So it's, it's nice to yeah. go back and, and see that progress. Yeah. It's somewhat, it's somewhat comforting, you know, because I think that especially when your work is higher output, you know, you're like consistently working all the time, you sort of gradually get better. So each little step that you make is kind of normalized within your own work. So you don't see the large steps. Some of those things may not even appear to you as you're, as you're working. Oh, absolutely. And I think like, you know, practice makes perfect. Uh, any of us who do this, this type of work, we're doing it every day. And so mm -hmm. should, I think you should be continually getting better if you're going about it um, the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you talked about how the, uh, the Roosevelt's fans have been really supportive of you. And how is that sort of launched into you being able to create and produce your own work, uh, whether it be through your stickers or uh, prints of your designs, the more totally free things that are entirely your own? Um, good question. Uh, so it's funny, I think there's a lot of overlap between like what I was doing on my own as like mm -hmm. passion projects versus the type of work I do for the Roosevelt's because pop yeah. culture has always been like my, I think my main inspiration. Mm -hmm. I like doing really accessible work yeah. that people can connect to, um, like going back to high school and commercial art. Like I've always been all about the commercial end of things. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a tough, it's, it's a tough one to kind of get back into how, um, how yeah. it's influenced me. Uh, I just like doing things that people like and that people yeah. connect with. Um, and so, you know, it's the, the whole sticker thing is like, it's almost started out as more of a hobby than anything else. And to my total shock, people were buying them. And mm -hmm. again, thank you to the Roosevelt's fans who are probably my main <laughs> purchaser. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's fun to just, as I get, you know, it's sort of, uh, I've been very lucky to stay very busy. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I get downtime, that's immediately where I go. Like, what's a new sticker I can do? What's something I can do for myself that uh, I can monetize basically? Yeah. Um, and that stuff's so fun. And I'm so jealous too of people who like the freelancers I follow who make that a big piece of their, um, um, probably like their income and what they do. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, I, I love the client work. I'll, I would, I don't think I could ever leave that behind. Um, mm -hmm. I just enjoy working with clients and, and having people come to me with their different ideas, um, and working for different industries. I just never get tired of that, but it would be nice. I think someday to, um, be able to focus a little bit more on just things I want to do for myself and yeah. that be a larger percentage of, of what I do. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. With working in, uh, in pop culture imagery, is it sort of explorative in finding imagery that works best to your style or is it, is there uh, fun in the challenge of bending say, you know, Michael Myers, I, I know you had a design with him recently uh, to, to fit this more, relaxed illustrative style that's not so you know harsh as his image has become yeah um i guess i try to find a lot of my work that i do for myself it's all about um i think finding like the humor in things mm -hmm. yeah uh, i like to try to be clever and and uh not take anything too seriously yes so and also it just also i think that just lends itself to my my drawing style like i said yeah. ever since i was a kid i was it was all about cartoons. Every art teacher mm -hmm. I ever had tried to get me out of cartoons, but that's, that's just what I was drawn to. Um, yeah. So yeah, I enjoy finding, I think just like the absurdity and serious things and, and, and just, I don't take myself seriously. So, and I don't take my work super seriously either. So I just like finding things that again, that people connect to and like, mm -hmm. um, and just trying to, it's all about trying to create like a twist to something. Yeah serious like the michael myers thing is a, is a good example just him trick-or-treating yeah like this silly mascot style um people appreciate it they, i guess mm -hmm. they don't always want like a super serious horror version of michael myers yeah yeah well it's, it's it's cool because your style creates like a diversity in itself through the images you know you you see your illustration of like Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute or the Griswolds. And it's kind of like, oh, these are goofy characters and they fit this sort of fun cartoonish style. But then when you stamp Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees in it, now it creates this like totally different feel within the same style of like, oh, well, there's this 
horrifying murderer <laughs> with like a jaunty little strut and a Halloween basket. Yeah, That's yeah. so cute. Like it's cool that within a very similar style, you can create diversity and imagery and uh, perception of, of your own work. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to tell you that's, that's what I'm going for, but uh, I'm just doing things I like and, and things that make me laugh. Um, and if people appreciate it, that means the world to me. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's some of the most, the most fruitful endeavors within your work when you can kind of just dive down your own passions and, and people respond well to it. And it's super important for any professional creative. Uh, you have to devote time <clears throat> to exploring like the passion projects that they, mm -hmm. they love to call them. Um, it's, it's super important to yeah. um, explore uh, your style and what you're inspired by. Um, and I'll, and it just also, I think just, um, what's the word? Uh, just keeping yourself engaged to sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, I love my clients. I love the work I do for them, but you know, things get old and, and, yeah. and uh, stressful and, and being able to take time out and remember that you do this because you love it sometimes it's, mm -hmm. it's super important to keep yourself engaged yeah let's take another quick pause to talk about today's second sponsor mortem clothing co now mortem has been all over the in-person market recently so if you're in the philadelphia area come out this saturday november 20th to the miracle on market street hosted by old kensington boutique and next fab philly we'll also be at several other events so be sure to follow along on social media at mortem clothing co on instagram and facebook to check out where we'll be you can check out the website mortemclothing.co use code firstmortem for 10 percent off and as i hint, uh, talked about in the intro with being on the Maximum Mediocrity podcast, I also gave a secret code to all of their listeners for 20% off. So if you'd like to find that, go listen to my episode with the Maximum Mediocrity podcast to find an exclusive Mortem discount code. And is there like a, uh, is there a freedom within that? Like you said that the, the sticker side and the independent work isn't, isn't a huge part of what you do, especially income wise. So do you find that they're not necessarily being a weight makes it easier to put out there. You know, I think about sometimes being super excited about a design and then you send it out to the general public and it doesn't do all that great. That can be really defeating, sure. you know? So. So what do you mean? What's the. Oh, oh sorry. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if like, does that passion work since it's not a huge side of what you're doing? Is there a freedom in that so that you're just oh, like, yeah. ah, fuck it, send it out, you know? Exactly. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's, there's no stress. There's no pressure. Uh, mm -hmm. It does well. Cool. If it doesn't, whatever. Um, yeah. I think it's it, part of it is just relaxing. Um, you mm -hmm. need to sometimes remember, like the reason I ever got into this is because I enjoyed doing it. It's a yeah. job now. You know, of course, it eventually just it becomes a job. It's work. Um, yeah. But it's it, that's where you get an opportunity to sometimes explore different styles and mm -hmm. and approaches um, and just again remind yourself that you're doing this because you really enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm sure that helps to keep the, the client work a little fresh, freshens your brain. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you need to take away, like I said, like it, it is work and sometimes it feels like work. Um, it's sometimes you need to step away and, and, and explore things for yourself. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, do you have any nightmare clients or any nightmare client stories that are really good? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've said this a lot, uh, since going off my own, and this is one of the things that scared me the most about going off my own was dealing with clients yeah. myself. But like I said, when I was moonlighting as a, as a contractor, it, it was going so great. I loved it. And that's what led me to do it for myself. But mm -hmm. as an art director at an ad agency, there were certainly plenty of nightmare moments. Um, and I, I think there's something to do with um, dealing with the clients yourself. And also as a, as a, freelancer now like I deal with um business owners more often yeah. than where when you're in advertising you're dealing with someone who's a cog in the machine oh it's, yeah it's just a diff it's a totally different scenario there's a lot of people involved mm -hmm. there were endless revisions it was sometimes clients could just get nasty uh, but I find working with smaller businesses or even some of the larger businesses, I'm still typically dealing with the business owners and it's just a completely different experience. Uh, I can't say enough for how great my clients are. Yeah. They're all nice people. Yeah, of course, I've had moments where people aren't so nice and people get nasty, uh, but mm -hmm. my, my core returning clients are all super, super nice people. I've had some one-offs. Yeah. With, you know, random commission work where, where people could get nasty. Um, <laughs> 
but I don't really have any like great stories there. I don't think uh, mm-hmm. I had one guy I had to eventually tell him I was gonna I was gonna take him to court because it's just months <laughs> after months wouldn't pay me. Uh, and oh, he was just dodging me. It is yeah. stopping me. I mean, just wouldn't respond. Uh, and eventually, you throw out that that court that lawyer thing, and then they then they they find the money. Yeah. But I've been again. That's another thing. Like I've my clients pay on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I use some some best practices there too to ensure that um, things go smoothly. Yeah. Like yeah. Getting your fifty percent deposit is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I use a system called Square. Okay. Uh, you, you know, if you send invoices via email and people can pay via credit card um because waiting yeah. on checks you know that's that gets, <laughs> that gets tough yeah it might never show up <laughs> yeah there's still a couple lost in the mail out there i'm sure oh yeah sure. <laughs> and i had some bad experiences early on when i was a full-timer doing it on the side but like well, my first ever freelance project was like for this designer i was designing mm-hmm. like a like illustration for like a pet food package okay and he, he obviously like picked me probably just based on my price because i'm sure i was dirt cheap at that time uh, <laughs> yeah but uh the the style illustration he wanted was so far away from what i did and like, oh, we went yeah. through rounds of revisions and finally he was like he was like uh this isn't this is, this is gonna work i think he, he just mailed me like half the half the bill and i was crushed i was because this was like, like i was like i want to do freelance on the side this is yeah yeah oh here and uh i'll give myself credit i kept going though i didn't let it deter me too bad yeah, that's some that's impressive. Hey, at least he at least he gave you half. I'm sure yeah, there's plenty yeah. of companies out there that would have been like, ah, never mind. Honestly, looking back on it, that was probably pretty kind of the guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise it would have just been a like, lose my email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, has it been speaking of like QuickBooks and all the little things, has that been a shock or a challenge? Or again, since it's you've been able to kind of ease into it, has it been easier to sort of take on the business side of things, you know, when it comes to being an independent artist, there's so many little things that we don't think about almost other jobs that get tacked on, you know, whether it's doing the accounting, managing the money, doing the promotion through social media, through your website, you know, you've got to design your website, update it, et cetera. Yeah. When you're self-employed, you're every, you're every role. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, that's the worst and probably hardest part is dealing with the (laughs) The business side of things for sure it sucks yeah. uh the the worst part of this job and people i speak to peers we all kind of say the same thing um pricing work is by far the absolute worst part of the job mm. you always feel like you get it wrong uh it yeah. takes, takes years to feel confident in in how you're pricing things and to feel like you're, you're charging correctly and even mm-hmm. to this day i have there's plenty of times where my body I didn't charge enough for that or yeah. whatever. Um, uh, it's super hard. It just takes time. And it's also a common question I get, you know, occasionally if younger designers will reach out and they have questions and it's mm-hmm. a lot of times it's around pricing. Yeah. And there's just no, like, there's no great answer. It's like the wild, wild west, I think with our profession. <laughs> there's very yeah. few standards. Uh, we're all figuring it out as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, I think if, if we all were more um, open about speaking about what we charge and what we make, it would probably help a lot. Yeah. Because uh, underpricing is a huge problem in this industry. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole billing side of things is not what I want to be doing, of course, but mm-hmm. it's obviously crucial. I mean, I, I went and found a good financial advisor early on <clears throat> when I went oh, freelance that's and, and that's been huge. He's someone mm-hmm. I can lean on for some of that stuff. Um, when, when I, I run into something that I just don't know, uh, you, you have to have that. I think trying to do your own taxes as a independent <laughs> contractor is a nightmare. Yeah. I don't do it. I don't know how. I don't know. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I've never really thought about, um, I guess a lack of transparency within design charging and how that could affect other designers, especially, you know, branching into, into, um, the independent field do you think yeah. that that's do you think that that's a conversation that like especially schools should start to start to lean into to expose that side of the the world yeah i don't know how they go about it for sure um <laughs> uh like i said there's no standards so yeah. in certain industries like um editorial illustration <clears throat> i found there's some standards there and, and working with like apparel companies like especially t-shirts there's there are some standards there but not much. Um, yeah. 
you just kind of learn through doing and trying to speak to other people. Uh, I took this great class, an online seminar through mm -hmm. um, this small design firm called Pander, P-A-N-D-R. And they, okay. it was all about the business side of being a creative professional. And it was oh, wow. super, super helpful. And uh, if you follow them on Instagram, they're, they're great. Like they're, one of their, their like big goal is to inform artists, designers, and illustrators that they have to charge more yeah. because for those of us that are doing this full time, we constantly thought, <laughs> you know, people don't understand what these things cost. Constantly yeah. charge. If you Google, yeah. what does a logo cost? I think Google says like 200 to $500, something, something absurd. Uh, there's yeah. just not great information out there. And for sure, I think, uh, freelance creative professionals should be way more open and honest about what they're charging. Um, to, I mean, obviously someone who's new can't charge it. Someone who's been doing it for a long time, there's, there's levels and stages to it, but, uh, it would be helpful for people to know more, um, what are, what they should be charging and, and what yeah. stage of your career is a reasonable rate. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that to some extent, it turns into more of a more of a bidding war sometimes with certain companies, obviously, than it is based on people's work. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay, Ben Douglas and this other designer, their work's pretty close, but we could save a couple hundred bucks if we go over here. It's kind of like, well, now we're undercutting the work side, which is what should really matter within this. Yeah, uh, I mean, if if I were uh, someone with a business and I needed a designer, I would absolutely reach out to multiple designers and, yeah. and if the work was comparative. I'm sure I'd go with the cheapest person. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of course, who wouldn't? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get it. So um, yeah. I mean, that's why you occasionally run into some client who mm -hmm. wants this thing and, and their expectation of what it costs is just way off because their, yeah. their uh, buddy's kid knows Photoshop <laughs> or, or whatever. Uh, yeah. It, it happens constantly. Uh, yeah. And it, it's a big, like I said, that's why this group pander is like, it's like their rally cry is to teach young professionals what to charge because it affects what they can make. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have these younger people or even not necessarily younger people, just people who don't know what they're worth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, we're all, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Carry on. I think we're all, all artists and creative professionals are just tired of the starving artist idea. Mm -hmm. uh, it shouldn't be that way. Um, plenty of us can make, you know, a great profession, uh, through this type of work, uh, yeah. shouldn't, shouldn't be undervalued. No, absolutely not. And so much of it is about just simply educating the market. I think that like conversation, like, uh, like price and all of that stuff has become so taboo in the yeah. art culture. And if we just remove that, because then what happens is you know, speaking to the fine art side, which I'm more familiar with, maybe you can speak to this with design. Since price is so taboo, the only prices that you hear about are the things that sell for $50 million. So then people just think that that's what art costs. So they're like, why would I ever engage with art? I'll never be able to afford that. So it's, if we could just simply educate that there's, that's like the vast, vast minority. And yeah. there's this whole other world of affordable, accessible, engageable art that you could be a part of, it can change the industry in a very easy. Oh yeah. And I think that that sort of leads into um, choosing a freelancer <clears throat> over an agency. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, you, my old agency, uh, when I was there, you might come to them for a logo and mm -hmm. I would probably be the person designing a logo and it would have cost three times as much as what I'm charging probably on my own now. And it's the same guy doing this, doing the same work. Um, yeah. To see all the time, small businesses come to my old agency and know like, man, they do not need to spend this much money on this project, especially at the stage that they're at. Um, yeah. nothing, and I'm not knocking, you know, agencies at all. I, I was proud to work there for a long time and I learned a ton. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm part of why I've been successful, successful is from, what I learned at a small agency, mm -hmm. uh, but I'll, I see a lot of, I used to see a lot of small businesses going in a direction that I just thought you could find a freelancer um, who was going to charge way less and it's going to make way more sense for you. Uh, obviously much bigger, you know, much bigger projects are, are going to be sometimes more suited to an agency. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a big thing. I think more, a lot of people like small business owners should realize. And I think that's happening more and more is that yeah. a freelancer is 
great way for them to go. You can get super professional, high quality work with an independent contractor, uh, just as much as an agency, like I said, that's going to charge you way, way more. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's comfort in knowing that both hopefully for, for businesses and for artists that I think that it needs to be as well as normalizing talking about prices. It needs to be normalized that you can kind of do this on your own. There's definitely huge benefit in working within the industry and working for a company, but there are outlets where you can do this by yourself. It's not some sort of pipe dream. You know what I mean? No, for sure. I don't think I could be wrong. I don't know, but I don't think there's ever been a better time to be an independent creative than now. <clears throat> there's yeah. just so many opportunities. I think social media has had a lot to do with that. You know, mm -hmm. having outlet to share your work uh, and have people find you is I think completely changed the outlook of this, this profession for people yeah. like us. Um, I, I, I don't know how anyone did it before the internet. I just, you just have like a, like a, a page in the yellow book. I don't, I can't imagine how independent artists made money prior yeah. to the internet. And I guess that's where, maybe that's where the starving artist thing comes from, because I yeah. just can't imagine if you go door to door, small businesses, I don't know how people found work before this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's an amazing time mm -hmm. to be uh, a freelance creative, uh, mostly because of social media, I guess, but also because I think you have so many people who are going off and starting their own businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, and design is just huge now. It's like a, a big thing now. It wasn't when, when I was growing up, like you, not, you never heard or talked about or thought of graphic design or Photoshop. Now they're like, you know, household terms. Yeah. Uh, and kids in, in grammar school, high school now, like they know about it, they're interested in it. I, I like to think more and more it's, it's not thought of as this dead end um, profession where you're not going to make any money. Uh, there's so much opportunity and there are so many different avenues too, like, you know, whether you're into um, um, user experience or animation or like just, there's just a ton of different areas you can get into. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the artistic side has, has really woken up within just the way we interact with the world. It was always there for a while. Yeah. People just didn't recognize it. It wasn't a thing that mattered. And I think that that caused the work that came out to be worse because of it. But now everything is so much better and it's so apparent that work went into designing what we're interacting with. Yeah, ab absolutely. For sure. And it was funny that you mentioned going door to door. I have heard, I have heard horror stories from like illustrators and designers who, you know, one day a month used to just have to go through New York with a portfolio and uh, just crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good point, actually. Like when I think about like in college, we, where they used to talk to us about getting work was like, yeah, you would send your book to places. You, yeah. You'd send posts. I mean, and that's not necessarily even a dead thing now. Like some people send out mailers still. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably still somewhat um, valid, but that used to be what you did. You, you created a self mailer. You literally yeah. sent your book to places. You, or you, like you said, you cold called, you showed up. Yeah. Uh, Damn, it sounds awful. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> it really that. does. <laughs> I was just telling the story the other day of uh, the, the day of my college portfolio review. It was like one of the first times I was in the city and it was a super windy day. And I used to do these massive portraits when I was in high school. So I had this huge portfolio and I kept getting caught in wind tunnels and I'm like trying <laughs> to, to catch this thing. And then I got people telling me that they used to do that for like work. I'm like, that yeah. sounds, sounds absolutely atrocious. I can remember going on interviews with my big portfolio book and I, and it'd be a rainy day. So it's like, oh, I'm putting my portfolio in a trash bag today, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's terrible. And then, and then when I was on the agency side, it was so weird to see like toward the tail end, you know, I would interview potential designers mm -hmm. and they would come in with nothing, yeah. literally nothing. And they would, we have a, you know, a, a monitor in the conference room and they'd say, yeah, pull up my website. I already saw yeah. your website. That's why you're here. You can <laughs> Yeah, it blows my mind how quickly it just the portfolio just became like non-existent. Yeah, and especially with like digital work, it's like you expected me to print all this out. <laughs> yes, I, I get. I man, I'm like five years removed from uh, the agency side, so I, I'm sure now seeing an actual book has to be incredibly rare. Yeah, uh, I can't even imagine. I'm so. And I think about all the time I poured into. Um, you know, printing everything for my book and constantly updating it. And that's just, 
yeah. in the corner somewhere in my closet. And you'll yeah. never see that again. I know. Even designing a book, it's so it's like underrated how hard that is. It is. There is nothing harder, in my opinion, than dealing with your own like personal brand and uh, setting up your website. And a common thing you'll hear among a lot of designers is how their website is constantly dated. We're yeah. terrible at updating it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just the nature of the beast, I guess. Your your personal brand always comes last. Yeah, um, I have like no branding to my to who I am. Uh, it's something I want to do eventually. I just client work comes first. Yeah, it's hard to imagine yourself as the client to be like, all right, let's and let's I, think about this guy's brand. <laughs> and part of it, yeah, and part of why I haven't done it is because I. I hate thinking about it. Like a logo for myself, I have no idea. It sounds yeah. awful. I don't yeah. know what I do for myself or what would represent me. It's yeah, it's a weird. Yeah. I think a lot of designers feel that way. And I've seen plenty of designers hire other designers to do their own logo, which makes perfect sense. But it's so yeah. so bizarre too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, um, I think that this is a this is a good place for us to wrap up. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a great conversation. I'm so removed from the design side of the art world. So I love to hear about it, even though I could never enter it myself. <laughs> well, thank you. For, thank you for having me. This was yeah. super interesting. Uh, like I said, it's my first podcast. So this was cool. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. You want to take one last moment to, again, just uh, plug where anybody can find you, any cool projects you might have going on, anything you want to share? Uh, yeah, just, just my social is... Mm -hmm at the Ben Douglas uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my website is bendouglas.com. Two S's, I should say that. It's a weird mm -hmm. spelling. Um, and yeah, that's it. I, I you know, all my the work I do, it's always kind of under wraps until it comes out. So I can't mm -hmm. really share what's going on there. Uh, I wish I could, but yeah, that's kind of what it is. Makes it worth following along to see. <laughs> Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much to Ben once again for coming on the show. It's really cool to get to hear more about his process, his career going through the design field. Be sure to follow along with his work. Check out all of the awesome companies that he's done work with. As I said, I'm a huge fan of Roosevelt's. Um, thank you so much, as always, for listening and being patient with me as I took my little break. Be sure to check out the new website, Forest Hines art.com there's a little podcast page on there you can also shop originals and prints of all of my recent work uh, you can also follow me on instagram and facebook at forest Hines art you can follow the sponsors plebeian inc at plebeian.us on instagram and facebook that is also the site plebeian.us and you can follow mortem clothing co on instagram and facebook at mortem clothing co and mortemclothing.co for the site another huge shout out to the maximum mediocrity podcast for having me on recently again i hid a secret discount code for mortem in there so be sure to listen to the episode with me if you'd like to find an exclusive discount code as well as listening to an awesome podcast thanks so much